Another 364 million reasons to send Donald Trump to the ash heap of history. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. The verdict is in. Justice Arthur N. Goron has ordered Trump and his family company to pay $364 million in fines to the state of New York in the civil fraud case brought by Attorney General Letitia James, with nearly $355 million fined directly to Donald Trump. He and his namesake organization are also banned from doing business in the state of New York for three years. This comes on the same week that Trump and his criminal enterprise carried out a disgusting smear campaign on another highly effective black woman who dares to hold him accountable. Yes, a repeat abuser of woman, of women currently on the hook for $83.3 million for one of his victims and now another $355 million for defrauding the people of New York, is trying to erase audio proof of his attempted theft of 11,780 votes because the Fulton County DA had a consensual relationship and shared some travel expenses with a colleague. Sorry, criminal, that's not how Georgia law works. DA Willis struck back against the baseless attempt to derail the case and have her disqualified in a stunning evidentiary hearing that continued through today. If Trump was trying to beat her down, he failed, epically. Trump also failed to delay his first criminal trial in New York, which is now set to begin jury selection on March 25th. This is, of course, the election interference case brought by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg for Trump's fraudulent payoff of an adult film actress with whom he had an illicit affair. Let's be clear about who's engaged in criminality and in illicit uh, illegal payoffs for interfering with the will of the people. This all comes amidst the backdrop of Donald Trump's party capitulating to the desires of a genocidal dictator at his behest and denying aid to Ukraine. While Trump tells Putin to do whatever the hell he wants to our NATO allies, Biden came out rightfully blaming Vladimir Putin for what we just learned of today, the unthinkable death of 47-year-old Russian hero and opposition leader Alexei Navalny. This is, of course, the kind of political retribution Donald Trump aspires to, a world where he can have his political opponents silenced forever. I know this because I lived a version of this, a much less severe version of this, but nonetheless, very frightening version of it myself. Make no mistake, the Kremlin is running for the Republican nomination to president of the United States of America. My guest today knows all about threats to national security and the laws we have in place to stop them. Please join me in welcoming back to the show, friend of the show, Bradley Moss. Welcome, Brad. Jessica. Good, good. So, Brad, um, first off, what's your reaction to this massive civil fraud verdict in New York? This one has got to hurt for Donald Trump. <laughs> this is his lifeblood. And I don't just mean from the pure financial standpoint. This is who he is. This is the ethos, the very nature of Donald Trump is this business empire that he and his father built over the last several decades. This is his namesake. This is his parks. This is his stadiums. This is everything he's ever done has been about the Trump organization name, the hotels, everything, you know, that's got his name on it. And to be hit, not just being you know hit with the civil fraud judgment, but to be told you got to pay up three to 60 million before we even get into, you know, prejudgment interest to be banned from serving as an officer as well as his sons for at least a couple of years on any New York based uh, corporation that hurts him personally. 
Iowa would be interested to see over the next couple of days and weeks, and we've seen this already with all the other you know cases coming down, how much does he continue to unravel emotionally as the weight of these legal cases and the judgments that have already come down continue to pressure not just his uh, freedom, but his entire financial livelihood? Absolutely. And we're learning, I think, that with all of the interest that it has accrued from the date of execution, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, our, uh, Justice Angoran started it as of 2019. Is that right? That's my understanding. Yes. Okay. So it's up into like the 400 millions, isn't it? Not yeah, I think, even. Yeah. I, think, I think the rough calculations was it would be somewhere around 450 million. So when you put that together with the 83 million he owes the E. Jean Carroll, that's over half a billion dollars. Now, I know Donald Trump has lots of money. I have no doubt about that. He certainly has liquid assets. Something tells me he doesn't have half a billion dollars in liquid assets sitting around. He's either going to have to go hunting for a loan from someone really sketchy or he's going to start selling assets. And that is going to eat at him. I want to ask you a couple questions, one of which you asked uh, others on Twitter, which is, does this stop Donald Trump from doing business in other states? And I'll, I'll let you give the answer. I think that people responded to you. <laughs> yeah, and actually, the, the, the question was actually a little more uh, specific. It was about getting loans from getting loans. Okay. Uh, in terms of New York banks. And so with some, yeah. a bunch of people clarified for me, thankfully, and I didn't catch yeah. it in my initial read of the ruling, is it the restriction in this order prevents him from getting a loan from any financial lending institution that operates a, a business license in the state of New York. It doesn't matter if it's based in Dubai or if it's based in Miami, Florida. If they have the operational license to operate in New York, they cannot lend to him for, I think, three years. And that's going to hurt just in terms of narrowing the pool of potential lenders as he's going forward. The man's going to need money now. This isn't like before where he's just trying to struggle to make sure to pay all these lawyers and the tens of millions of dollars in legal fees. These are two massive judgments that will most likely stand, at least in part. I could see maybe they get reduced somewhat, but there's going to be hundreds of millions of dollars he's going to have to pay out. He's going to need money. Where does he get it? Does he sell the assets? Or does he start talking to MBS over in Saudi Arabia? Is he talking to Russian lenders? Where can he find the assets? Yeah, I think the, the both the financial pressure and as you mentioned, the emotional pressure, the the hit to his ego cannot be overstated in this case. Um, he becomes a very easy target for influence operations from foreign governments. Um, as I always remind our viewers, this is not America first guy. This is the Russia first guy, Saudi Arabia first, sometimes China first, but definitely America last. Um, but, and just back to the legal perspective, can you explain to us kind of what the appeals process looks like? H how long could this play out? And at what point does it actually effectively bar Trump from doing business in New York and force him to pay up this money? Yes, yeah, so there's two immediate issues that he's going to have to address. One, he's going to have to actually put up some money. And I don't remember under New York law, because I'm not a New York lawyer, to be very clear. But there is going to be some portion of this judgment he will have to put up sort of as collateral um, whether it's an appeal bond or actual liquid cash um, mm -hmm. while the appeal is pending. Certainly, you would expect it would be a sizable portion of the um, of the judgment. So if we're talking 400 something million dollars, he's going to be putting up tens of millions, which he might have liquid, but it might require him selling certain things. The second part is, does he get an immediate stay from one of the, from the appellate court to prevent this judgment from being enforced? That's critical. That is what he needs in order to stop this from effectively unraveling portions of his business right now. If he can get the stay, 
then he can everything gets put on hold while the appeal plays out. And I expect he will get a stay of at least some measure. Um, what will be interesting to see is if the appellate review gets expedited or if it just follows a normal course, because this could very easily take months, maybe a year to get through this appellate process through the ordinary course uh, of briefing and oral arguments. So it's, you know, it's up to the New York state court system. It's not the most efficient. Anyone who's ever practiced out there will tell you that one. You know, Litigating there. Exactly. <laughs> we will see how long they take to handle this. It took years just to get to this point. It's likely going to be at least another year before we resolve the at least the first level appeals. Well, speaking of stays and asking for stays, there's another. Uh, I've got probably five more Trump legal cases that I did not mention in my open that we could go over, Brad, uh, today. One of them is, of course, the delay, delay, delay tactics that Donald Trump tried um, in the first criminal trial that's now going to come to fruition on March 25th. Um, he tried and failed this week to both get that case thrown out and to have it delayed. Um, Justice Juan Marchand said no thank you to that, to those nonsense, non-legal arguments from Trump's lawyer, Todd Blanche, and uh, set this case on track to begin jury selection on March 25th. Um, I think we kind of sometimes lose sight of the importance of this particular case. Can you just kind of refresh our viewers on what this uh, brag indictment is all about? Yeah, you know, it's how fitting that this is going to be now probably what the chronological order will be for these criminal yeah. cases. This goes back to 2016. This goes back to um, in the lead up to the 2016 election. Donald Trump was coordinating with the National Enquirer, as well as with his own you know, in-house counsel at the time, Michael Cohen, to effectively catch and kill damaging stories. We know about one of them that involved an alleged affair with a Playboy model. This was the one in terms of catching and killing the story of Stormy Daniels, the adult actress. And in the final weeks of the 2016 election, uh, Michael Cohen, in coordination with Trump, concocted a, you know, a settlement with Stormy Daniels to pay her off so she wouldn't be able to tell her story. Cohen took out fraudulent business loans. He went to jail for this at one point, took out fraudulent loans in order to cover the settlement fund to Stormy Daniels. And then Trump reimbursed him with fraudulent business invoices and in fact gave him extra money as part of the quote unquote reimbursement, although they described it just as legal fees. That is at its core what this case is in Manhattan. It is a business fraud and a uh, wire fraud case going all the way back to the 2016 election. And it is just beyond ironic that the first case here will involve Stormy Daniels, you know, infamous adult actress showing up and being photographed with her clothes on. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and you know, um, DA Bragg has really been, I think, wanting to emphasize that this case is about election interference. This is kind of referred to sometimes as the hush money case, but this is an election interference case. And you know what, Brad? I know all too well about that period of time because I was in Trump Tower. Um, our viewers know that I, I, I tragically uh, followed Donald Trump in 2016. By the grace of God, never voted for the man. But um, I was living a, a terrorizing experience of my own at that very moment um, of Access Hollywood weekend from the subordinates of Donald Trump. And I will tell you, I mean, Donald Trump's defense in this is that, oh, you know, paying off Stormy Daniels had nothing to do with uh, the election. It was because I didn't, you know, I, I felt bad for my wife. Oh, give me a break. 
give me a break. That campaign was obsessed, obsessed with damage control on Access Hollywood Weekend. I had a sexual discrimination, traumatic defamatory experience that was going on for myself at the time. And I was ushered, rushed into Kellyanne Conway's office with David Bossy, and they were in supersonic damage control mode to do everything possible to keep me quiet. So I can tell you that campaign was obsessed with damage control. Donald Trump was obsessed with damage control on Access Hollywood weekend and in the weeks uh, after that revelation. And to think that he paid off Stormy to Daniels to do anything but interfere with the information available to voters leading up to that election is absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, well, and everything with Donald Trump is always projection. He assumes other people are tr are deliberately trying to engage in what he describes as election interference because that's what he does. Whether it was 2016 with the hush money payments or trying to get you know coordinate the leaking of Hillary Clinton's e uh, you know emails or records through WikiLeaks. 2020, he's trying to coordinate you know these uh, ways to overthrow the election. But it's interesting that you had mentioned Kellyanne Connolly being ushered into her office because we know that she testified before the grand jury in the Manhattan case, will almost mm -hmm. certainly be compelled to testify as a prosecution witness in the actual trial to probably address a lot of what you're just describing of the chaos of those final weeks when we all heard about the heard the Hollywood, uh, so the Access Hollywood uh, audio and everybody was losing their minds. That will certainly come up. David Bossy certainly might be one of them. Michael Cohen will almost certainly be a witness at trial. It will be a rehashing of the insanity of October 2016 and how that played a role, especially as Trump was trying to you know, bring that ship into the port, how that played a role in the decision to break laws in this manner and, and, and silence Stormy Daniels. Absolutely. And this... This theme of election interference, Brad, my God. I mean, you say he assumes that his enemies are doing it. I think he knows they're not. He's he's just, uh, it's the projection is just total, total put on. Um, but this election interference theme, it goes with everything that Trump and his allies are engaged in. Just this week, the FBI informant at the heart of the GOP's Biden bribery allegation, which was, a, of course, a core part of trying to smear Joe Biden in the lead up to the 2020 election. Uh, talk about election interference. This FBI informant was charged with uh, making false statements to the FBI and making a false report. Alexander Smirnoff, he's been the number one source in this smear campaign against the Biden family, where they've not been able to establish any real links between, uh, you know, Hunter's mistaken and silly, you know, Hunter's had a fun life. That's about the way I'll describe it. Hunter's look. Hunter's Hunter's dealt with addiction. Hunter's also dealt with incredible loss, and he's he's he has attempted to reform it. And I think taken a responsibility for that. We're not excusing his bad behavior, but he was the subject of um, you know this campaign. I think there's a lot of evidence out there that he's been very specifically targeted. Um, that the whole laptop. Um, this is not some organic production. This was a orchestrated campaign to smear Joe Biden and his family um, using a very vulnerable family member who has uh, dealt with addiction and other issues. Um, but here you go this week. Um, 
Donald Trump's own hand-picked special counsel, David Weiss, who does he uh, indict? He indicts Alexander Smirnoff, the GOP's source. Yeah, and and rightly so. You know, and it's not just yeah. any statements, any false statements he gave. It's the very false statements that were being relied on as part of the House impeachment inquiry that yeah. James Comer had, you know, trumpeted, that Sean Hannity was trumpeting, that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and all of them were talking about over and over. Here's the proof. We've got the FBI informant. The FBI knew about it in 2020. They've been trying to cover it all up. Here's the proof. The guy was making it all up. And the FBI is rightly sought, uh, sorry, the Justice Department, not the FBI, the Justice Department writ large rightly brought this indictment because you just can't go running around making these false statements and expect to never be held to account. But here comes the problem. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, the first impeachment. The damage is already done from a political standpoint. This is what Donald Trump cares about. He didn't care if the House impeachment ever went anywhere with Joe Biden. He didn't care if there was any merit to the corruption allegations. He wanted the political smear and he wanted it out there in the media so he could talk about it and his allies would talk about it. And the media anchors would talk about it over and over and over for months on end before it ever got to this point of this gentleman being indicted for making false statements. That's exactly what he tried to do. When he, when he extorted the Ukrainians, trying to get them as a condition of continued aid, trying to get them to start this false investigation into Biden uh, tied to Burisma. He didn't care what came out of it. An investigation is all he wanted because that's the headline. Joe Biden being investigated by the Ukrainians for corruption, criminal assets, whatever. It didn't matter if nothing ever came of it. He needed the headline. He knew how Chiron writers write. He knew how the media would run with the story, just like it happened in 2016 when James Comey reopened the Clinton probe for a grand total of 10 days. Didn't matter that nothing came of it. It was open, and that was the headline story. That's what people saw on their television uh, sets at night. Well, I do think in this particular case um, that this Biden impeachment is pretty much dead. Um, I, I think that they are being utterly humiliated. This Mayorkas impeachment was kind of like a token for the extreme MAGA caucus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the Senate Republicans allowing Marjorie Taylor Greene to put on, you know, an impeachment, be an impeachment manner, manager in the trial? I mean, they they they've lost almost all uh, ability to feel shame. But I, I do not think that they're going to go that far. And to after this ridiculous party line vote on a margin that they have now lost with the election of Tom Swazi that they couldn't have gotten the day after they made that vote. Um, I, I don't see, I see the Biden impeachment inquiry as nearly dead. I don't know if you agree. I think it's, I think it's going to fail, but I mm -hmm. remain convinced they will bring the vote if for no other reason than Johnson still wants to remain speaker. And if he doesn't at least try to bring a vote, he'll get a motion to vacate just like McCarthy did. And so he'll throw out this suicide attempt, you know, this Hail Mary on this vote to impeach. It'll fail probably about it by a good, you know, five or six votes at least. And then he and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Clay Higgins and all the other hardliners can say it's the fault of these weak rhinos. Let's primary them going for, you know, in the next election. They're the reason we didn't get the whole Joe Biden to account. It's a political game here. They don't think this is actually going anywhere anymore. They don't, but it's actually doing a hell of a lot of damage coupled with um, their refusal to act on the very issue that they seem to care so much about, the border. 
Um, because why? Because it will be a political win, they think, for Donald Trump if the border remains uh, chaotic up until the election. And what else are they failing to move on? And my goodness, Brad, I mean, you couldn't write this any more, um, you know, clearly to draw the lines of connection between Russia and the GOP in our House of Representatives denying aid to Ukraine. They went on recess uh, yesterday. They're gone until President's Day, having not passed aid for Ukraine. Um, this, as Donald Trump goes out there, like I said in the open, telling Vladimir Putin that he would say, do whatever the hell you want to our NATO allies, um, welcoming this attack. Uh, literally doing the bidding of a man who we learned today killed Alexei Navalny and is known for murdering his opponents. Um, shouldn't we be very, very alarmed about state of one of our two major political parties and, and have absolutely no question as to their motivations? It's terrifying to watch how completely dysfunctional the House Republicans in particular, not so much Senate Republicans, they still seem to, to an extent to be the adults in the room, at least for the purposes of the party, you know, with, with some particular exceptions, <clears throat> Holly. Um, but, but in terms of the House GOP, it is just a nightmare. And you're seeing it in some of these retirements, some of these longstanding House Republicans who just became chairman and chairwomen of these powerful committees who are just walking away um, this election cycle because they just don't want to deal with this garbage anymore because it's not about legislating. It's not about governing anymore. It's about getting the social media clip and then going on Fox News or Newsmax that night. That's all it has become in Congress. And if you're Joe Biden and you've got you know multiple prongs to how you're gonna do messaging in 2024, but you've got to imagine some, somewhere there's an strategist pulling out Harry Truman's playbook from 1948 saying this is the do nothing Congress and just updating the mechanics of that message for 2024, because that's what has happened. You had an election in 2022. You know, the Republicans got their you know tiny majority. And what have they done, America? They didn't do what they were supposed to. You don't have to tell take my word for it. There's Republicans going on the House floor saying, we've done nothing. What am I supposed to talk about to my constituents? They have not passed anything of substance. They've not managed to get the border deal done, even though that's supposed to be one of their big issues, Senate passes a bill to get it done. Fine, let's make a deal, let's make a compromise. That's what Congress is supposed to do. House Republicans refuse. They barely can fund the, you know, fund the government at this point. We're about to be on the verge of another shutdown in two weeks. What are they doing other than running impeachment inquiries? They won't govern. That should be Biden. One of Biden's messages is you got to get these guys out of here so that the adults in the room, whether even if they're still some type of Republican, but the adults in the room can actually govern this country. Yeah. Um, speaking of Biden and his messaging, let's let's play a clip of uh, the really calling the GOP out on going on this recess without passing the Ukraine aid. Is there anything you can do to get ammunition to the Ukrainians without a supplemental from Congress? No, but it's about time they step up, don't you think? Instead of going on a two-week vacation. Two weeks. They're walking away. Two weeks. What are they thinking? My God. This is bizarre. And it's just reinforcing all the concern and 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 almost I won't say panic, but real concern about the United States being a reliable ally. This is outrageous.
It's the do nothing Congress. Hey, let's go on vacation for two weeks. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing major going on. We only have a budget, you know, that needs to be, you know, funding that needs to be addressed. We've only got aid to Ukraine that needs to be addressed. You got FISA reform that they were trying to push through. That got pulled. These are the guys who could barely get a speaker elected. They vacated one and they took forever to get another one in there. How do you run on that in 2024 as your campaign message other than say, put Donald Trump back in office and everything will be fine? Yeah, well, some of my guests have uh, often pointed out authoritarians are are woefully ineffective, um, and that's that's just a trademark of this uh, style of leadership. Their their constant quest after self preservation, um, obviously, obviously cannot work for the public good. Um, it's it's narcissism, the self you know self destructive nature of narcissism, um, but. You know, when you're a national security lawyer, uh, Brad, I know you know the importance of alliances. Um, I also want to play the ad that Biden, the Biden campaign put out this week, because um, I think it really highlighted this stark, stark contrast between the world that we will um, continue to to grow alliances in under Joe Biden, um, continue to fortify the uh, fight against authoritarianism to continue to uh, tell the world that democracy can succeed, that we don't live in a world where we murder our political opponents um, versus the world that Donald Trump uh, has, you know, aspires to. Um, let's play this clip. For 75 years, NATO has been the most important military alliance in the world. It's been the cornerstone of America's security. It's how we won the Cold War and defeated the Soviet Union. And the only time NATO has invoked the sacred commitment of Article 5 was to stand with America after 9-11. Every president since Truman has been a rock-solid supporter of NATO. Except for Donald Trump. Trump wants to walk away from NATO. He's even given Putin and Russia the green light to attack America's allies. I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. No president has ever said anything like it. It's shameful. It's weak. It's dangerous. It's un-American. Joe Biden understands the commitment we have made to NATO is good for America and the world. And he will honor it. Because that's what a strong American president does. I think that's a very well done ad that will appeal, hopefully, at most, to a small sliver of, uh, I would say, conservative-leaning independents and sort of that Nikki Haley uh, portion of the Republican Party. Not necessarily that I even think they're going to vote for Joe Biden. I think it's aimed at simply getting them to reconsider voting at all in the sense of they can't bring themselves to vote for Biden. I understand that, especially if they're longstanding Republicans. But they're also the type of more establishment Republican that can't stand this MAGA-led, you know, Trump world. And it simply isn't going to be bringing themselves to go back to the ballot to put him back in power. They tend to be more in the suburbs, tend to be more college educated, and they're more likely to be hesitant to bring back the chaos and the uncertainty of Donald Trump. And I think that's what that is more directed at. I think so. I think, uh, you know, you look at what Biden has done to um, fortify NATO. You you think about when this 
Vladimir Putin started this war of aggression on Ukraine. His attempt was to weaken NATO. And what did Joe Biden do? do? He grew NATO. NATO is now stronger. It has more members. Um, it's more more unified and strengthened than ever. And, um, you know, the contrast could not be clearer. Um, if not to uh, bring those voters to Biden, which I hope it would, um, at least as you're saying, <laughs> to keep them from voting for Donald yeah. Trump. Uh, let's go to a quick break. We're going to talk about so much more of the legal news this week, Fani, uh, SCOTUS, and much more. The older I get, the more I find myself wanting to be more intentional about the way I live, what I eat, and how I take care of my body. Mosh is a company founded by Maria Shriver and her son Patrick Schwarzenegger with a simple mission to create conversation about brain health through food, education, and research. Maria's father suffered from Alzheimer's, and since then, she and Patrick have dedicated themselves to finding ways to help other families dealing with this debilitating disease. Mosh joined forces with the world's top scientists and functional nutritionists to go beyond your average protein bar with six delicious flavors, each mosh bar has 12 grams of protein and is made with ingredients that support brain health like ashwagandha, lion's mane, collagen, and omega-3s. They also have a line of plant-based protein bars in three delicious flavors. But here's the best part to make you feel good. Mosh donates a portion of all proceeds from your order to fund gender-based brain health research through the women's Alzheimer's movement. Why gender-based? Two-thirds of all Alzheimer patients are women. Mosh is working closely to close the gap between women and men's health research. The Mosh bars are incredibly delicious. They are my favorite. My favorite is the peanut butter crunch. Now I eat my mosh bar in the morning for breakfast and it's the perfect way to kickstart my morning. I'm always carrying around my mosh bars. The mosh bars travel super well and always make for the best pre-workout meal for me. If you want to find ways to give back to others and fuel your body and your brain, mosh bars are the perfect choice for you. Head to moshlife.com lights to save 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack at M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot com slash lights. Thank you, Mosh, for sponsoring this episode. So, Brad, I'm always talking on this program, and you hinted at it with the attempts at changing narrative, just getting smears out there in into the um, media environment um, about the Trump world's weapons of mass distraction. Um, <laughs> I don't think we saw any better example of it than this week in Fulton County with this evidentiary hearing attempting to get Fonnie Willis thrown out of the case. I really want to touch on the legal standard for what disqualification um, is in Fulton County in Georgia. Um, but before we do that, I just want to play this one clip from yesterday of Fonnie really uh, defining what this is really all about. So your office objected to us getting um, Delta records for flights that you may have taken when no, Mr. Wade. Well, no, no, no. Look, I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. So my question was. That's right. I, it was it's it's it. 
you know, it's not the first time a defense lawyer has tried to do this, try to put the investigators on trial, especially when there's going to be, say, like a selective prosecution argument. And Trump's done that in some of his cases. But this was somewhat unique. And I'll say this. It's not entirely frivolous to have brought this uh, inquiry. And it's an unforced error on the part of Fannie Wells and Nathan Wade. Quite, quite candidly, it was a personal misjudgment to have done this without thinking it would ever come out. You're hiring this person. You start a personal relationship with them. You know, in the middle of one of the biggest cases that you're going to see in the next century. Yeah, that was going to come out, especially with people like Trump and his allies. We're going to try to dig up every piece of dirt. But when it came to disqualification, the reason that it is unlikely to succeed here is basically two parts. One, with the exception of these uncorroborated gossip that's basically come up, there's no indication that the relationship predated this inquiry. And in fact, to the extent that we can have any real verification through sworn testimony, all indications are it started in 2022, the romantic relationship started in 2022 after the inquiry had already started. That's when he was, you know, he had already been hired. It was, you know, obviously a consensual relationship. Again, not the greatest of choices, but, you know, the heart wants what it wants. They're consenting adults. The second aspect was, was there some type of conflict of interest, particularly a financial conflict of interest in how this was handled? This is where the inquiry got dug in. So it was digging into the details of people's, you know, Delta records and their bank accounts. It was... Did, was this done, was the contract with Wade done in a manner to personally financially benefit Willis, basically using county funds to her personal benefit beyond, you know, what she gets in terms of a salary and the privileges that are afforded her like security services. That's what they were trying to dig into. There was smoke. There was certainly enough smoke mm-hmm. given how Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade handled it for this inquiry to at least begin. I said at the beginning, I thought it was appropriate for the judge to hold an evidentiary hearing. But nothing I heard gave me indication that there is actual verifiable, uh, substantiated proof of an improper relationship or any financial conflict. Yeah, I think a lot of us yesterday were, were um, from a woman's perspective, Brad, kind <laughs> of absolutely disgusted by the scrutiny into Fonnie Willis and her personal life. Granted, Granted that she came very, uh, you know, willingly and and her uh, literally as her attorneys, I have this clip we could play in a minute. As her attorneys are. It's an awesome moment. Let's let's play that and we'll talk about it on the other side. It's really quite striking. Her attorneys are arguing why um, she the motion to subpoena her should be quashed. And she comes in the courtroom. And here it is. We've seen what happened here. Just two or three more sentences. We need to, uh, to have the full picture as we've gotten through Mr. Wade of his false interrogatory, serious business for a lawyer or anybody. And then suddenly he's changing. She files her financial declarations, same problems. We need her in here to go over all of this and to explain exactly what happened. We would ask the court uh, that, that, the, that uh, the court allow Ms. Willis to be called just a moment miss willis uh so miss cross i don't know if you want to speak with miss willis now it's sounding like maybe they're withdrawing the objection to the motion i believe the motion to uh, or or does miss willis want to take the lead here we'll address the motion to flash miss willis based on the i'll make that okay so the um 
position of the district attorney at this point is that she's no longer uh, contesting the subpoena. Ms. Mershon has called her as the next witness. I would ask, um, I need three documents in front of me, and they're the three filings of Ms. Merchant. I know, Brad, you mentioned before we started this that uh, Fannie Willis <laughs> talked a little bit too much, but I got to tell you, um, I can I can understand her um, just outrage at, at having been smeared and wanting to take her name back, wanting to set the record straight. Um, you know, this is an attempt from Donald Trump and his team to beat her down. And I agree with you. There could have absolutely been more discretion on her part when you were dealing with a high stakes case like this, um, you know. I, I read the Bible, it says, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, avoid the appearance of evil. You absolutely must do that when you're dealing with people um, like Donald Trump um, and with the task that she was entrusted with, absolutely. But was there any legal standard here as you're describing under Georgia law, any actual conflict of interest, any forensic misconduct? No. Um, and she really, I think yesterday um, felt a, an obligation for her own personal integrity and dignity to set the record straight um, with a few too many words sometimes, maybe, but uh, to take her, take her voice back to clarify the record and, and establish who the hell she is to these uh, con artists and criminals who are trying to derail a case that she has brought very clearly, not for her personal benefit, for, but for the benefit of the people of the state of Georgia. Yeah, that moment and what you saw yesterday with that testimony, that was the most Trumpian thing she could have ever done. It was, I swear to God, you, Hollywood couldn't have scripted that one better. She yeah. walked right in, says, to hell with these objections. I'm ready to testify. Let's get going. And then during that testimony, it is fiery. It is very precise. Now, I drove me crazy because lawyers make the worst witnesses. <laughs> Would it? Answer the question. She kept rambling. <laughs> and then on. stop, right? <laughs> like, you answer the question and you stop, Fonny. Don't yeah. worry. They'll ask more. Um, and she kept talking over, you know, people, which again was not great um, from a witness standpoint, but it was very much a I'm going to defend this. And what did she get? She got wall to wall media coverage, not only of her testimony, but all throughout the night. The story wasn't about Nathan Wade testifying. It wasn't about the issue with the prior witness. It was clips of Fonnie Willis and her testimony, the Southern colloquialisms, talking about her father and all the, you a know. man is not a plan. I said, a man is, oh my God, I think my nine-year-old knows that one. A man is not a plan. <laughs> He's a companion. And that, I mean, those were priceless moments. I'm pretty sure Beyonce and Taylor Swift are going to write songs about it the rate that she went, but it was mm. pure Trumpian style command of the media. That was a story all night last night. Absolutely. She took it back. And I got to tell you, she reminded me of a, a certain powerhouse of a woman that I know who has a zero tolerance for bullshit is probably watching this right now. Hi, mom. <laughs> so very familiar, very familiar to me. Uh, and I think relatable to so many women. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, but you know, you look at, um, who is, uh, even on the defense table, you know, the, this, I, I, it was, there were a lot of comments about, um, you know, kind of what seemed like the racist nature of this. Of course, Fonnie Willis has been subjected to such vile racist attacks from Donald Trump himself, while he, of course, 
calls her a racist, like he's called Letitia James a racist. I put out a tweet yesterday, um, just kind of being flabbergasted by the disclosure of her personal life in light of the personal threats that she has faced. And um, you wouldn't believe the kind of vile, disgusting uh, responses that I got from the MAGA crowd. Um, but who then reiterated the threats that Fonnie Willis has faced for taking this job, how brave she was in the first place to take it. The evidentiary hearing continued today. They put on some white men that were too afraid to take this job because they didn't want to be followed by security and bodyguards for the rest of their life. It took a black woman to have the balls to stand up and, and take on this prosecution. Um, I wanna play one more clip, Brad, of, of her father uh, testifying to what she has had to go through um, because of threats to her safety uh, for taking on this case. Well, these um, South Fulton police, first they put a car in front of the house that was there permanently, um, a police car. That was thing one. Thing two, they brought a person uh, with a dog sometimes more than uh, once a day, twice a day, and they would circle the house to look for, for bombs. Um, I knew that that was a house that my daughter had worked for. for it was a brand new house. She's the only one who would ever live there. It's a four bedroom, brand new house. And I wanted to, somebody needed to protect the house. And I stayed there to basically take care of the house, uh, to take care of the yard, to take care of that. Also, somebody sprayed, um, um, again, the B word and the N word on the house. And I don't think my daughter even knew that. Uh, I cleaned it off and called the police and South uh, Fulton police. They have, I'm sure, all the records of all the things that happened. And all of the neighbors, uh, I notified all the neighbors to look out and to watch out. And it was just, it was so crazy. I mean, it was just so crazy. We'd have people show up and in park car. There was a guy parked for probably eight hours out in front of the, the house. Uh, you know, it was just, and we'd call the police and, you know. I mean, you know what I saw there? And I said, this is the father of daughters. Yeah. That was the father of a daughter. And that's his yeah. baby girl. And seeing a fiend hate towards her for the horrible thing of doing her job. It wasn't like she was sitting out there running a private business and trying to scam people out of money. She was a prosecutor prosecuting a case and the utter hatred, especially when you're talking about parts of the South with awful, you know, elements of the history and people know what's gone on in the past. To see that in 2024 absolutely must have driven him completely crazy. And you saw some of that define some of that anger in his testimony. And you saw, you know, similar issues with the other, uh, the former lieutenant governor, I think it was who had been consulted about possibly becoming a special prosecutor, you were referencing this. He said, I don't want to do that because I don't want to have crazy death threats for the rest of my life. I don't want to be involved in this case. I know what comes out of MAGA world in the end. And that's what we see, whether it's in New York, whether it's in Fulton County, whether it's in DC, everywhere that someone brings a case against Donald Trump, it unleashes the crazies because he unleashes the crazies on them. And he does not care in the end what how many other people get hurt, what kind of damage there is. All that matters is his own survival.
100%. Um, let's touch on one more subject of his own survival before you leave us today, Brad, and that is this Hail Mary attempt to get uh, the Supreme Court to put a stay on the election interference. God, how many election interference cases do we have, Brad? The election interference case in D.C., the big kahuna, the Jack Smith case for January 6th. Um, he's trying to push this baseless presidential immunity claim, wanting the en banc uh, appeal, the full appeals court in the D.C. circuit to review um, his loss, his complete, you know, shut down from the three judge panel in D.C. on this ridiculous, ludicrous claim of presidential immunity. Uh, he went to the Supreme Court this week. Uh, Supreme Court gave Jack Smith a week to respond. Jack Smith's like, I don't need a week. I give it to you in a day. Um, Jack Smith, among other things, and very good filing said, the conduct in the alleged in the indictment is of unparalleled gravity. There is a national security interest in seeing the crimes alleged in this case resolved promptly. Uh, you agree? Yeah, Brad? Oh, absolutely. I, the immunity argument, in my view, I don't think they ever really expected it to succeed. I mean, there was always yeah. the hope, certainly, because if the immunity argument uh, wins, the case is done, more or less. But it's the delay. It's absolutely the delay because they knew they would be able to get what's called interlocutory appeal. They knew it would shut down the entire trial until this could be resolved. And even if it means that, you know, even the Supreme Court outright denies a stay and just drops the whole thing and says, no, you're done and sends it back to Judge Chutkin. Now, that case isn't going to make it to trial now until probably June or July. That was the point that even if it doesn't get, even if they don't kill off the case, they delayed it by months. And the closer and closer you get the Donald Trump having the nomination and the closer and closer you get to the start of the fall campaign, you're going to be hearing those arguments from his lawyers about how you cannot run these trials anymore. You have to halt it all till after the election because it would be unfair to him as the candidate. We already seen two judges tell him to quite, quite candidly pound sand on that argument. We're going to see what the rest of them say as we get closer to election day. Yeah, they damn well better continue to say that because uh, we only have the future demo of democracy at stake here. Um, and, you know, Donald Trump's lawyers argued in their reply brief to Smith, oh, it's so obvious the special counsel wants the trial to happen before the election. I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. It's the right of the voters to have this election happen before the uh, election. And you would think he would want it to because he'd want to get that, you know, that not not guilty verdict. And he can tr trot that out to the voters saying, see, it was a witch hunt from the beginning. There never should have been a, a case from the outset. You would think he would want that, except he knows he's guilty. He knows he'll get convicted. Absolutely. All right. Well, Brad, thank you so much. Kamsa uh, Hamida for joining me today. <laughs> uh, bringing your... <laughs> Your girl dad uh, perspective. I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to tell my wife about that one, by the way. Oh, please do. Please do. <laughs> Annyeong seyo. Until next time. Have a good one. <laughs> Uh, such a pleasure to be joined by Brad Moss, as always. Um, I want to leave you today with some images out of Russia of um, Alexei Navalny's supporters um, being arrested as they literally uh, just lay flowers and show support for Alexei Navalny. Um, this is the world that Donald Trump aspires to, I will remind you. Let's just play this clip for a moment. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
Alexei Navalny uh, was incredibly, incredibly brave. Some people on Fox News today had the gall to say that if this occurred under, um, if Donald Trump was president, Alexei Navalny would not be killed. Let's remind everyone that Donald Trump um, was president when Alexei Navalny was poisoned. Donald Trump was president when Alexei Navalny was arrested. Uh, Joe Biden has made a commitment to freeing political prisoners, victims of oppressive regimes like Vladimir Putin. Um, there are political prisoners all over the world, in Belarus, in uh, China, in countries all over the world who are suffering oppression and repression for standing up bravely against these authoritarian leaders like Trump, like Putin. Um, and in the name of Alexei Navalny, please, Think of all of them today. Think of them when we're fighting for American democracy right now. Think of them when you understand the liberty that we have, that so many people wish that they could have to live their lives in freedom, to engage in criticism, uh, civil disputes in, in their country, which so many countries do not have the liberty to do, and the regression that Donald Trump and his allies in this country in the name of freedom um, aspire to and want to take away from us. Um, I'll leave you with the words of Alexei Navalny um, in that uh, next Netflix documentary that he did a few years ago. He said to his Russian uh, friends and supporters, he said, you are not allowed to give up. If they decide to kill me, it means we're incredibly strong. We've got to use this power. Let us all use the power that we have. Um, I want to thank you all for joining me today. Uh, as always, if you'd like to support my ongoing legal battle, we need your support and we're so appreciative for it. You can do that at thejessicadenson.com slash donate, thejessicadenson.com slash donate. I, of course, have been engaged in litigation for years, holding Donald Trump accountable through the courts, and that fight very much continues today. Um, everybody have a wonderful weekend. Please subscribe to Jessica Denson on YouTube and uh, the uh, Lights On with Jessica Denson podcast wherever you get your audio podcasts. See you next time and let your light shine.